Welcome to Politics Consider, the show in which we discuss some things political. I'm your host, Bill Gallagher. As we wrap up the year, today's podcast will be a conversation about nothing and potentially everything. I'm thrilled to have as a special guest today an expert on nothing and potentially everything. I'm on location here with Tom Miller in Gainesville, Florida, which is about two hours northwest of Orlando and home to the University of Florida. Tom Miller is a nationally recognized... <laughs> the hell was that? We should have paused. Okay. Go ahead. It might be funny. A screaming woman going down the sidewalk in the middle of our interview. <laughs> <laughs> Could just leave that in. I think we leave it in. <laughs> Go ahead. You were doing great. I was excited. Tom Miller is a nationally recognized American screenwriter, performance artist, playwright, actor, sound designer, painter, poet, and musician living in Gainesville, Florida. He holds a BA from the University of Florida in theater and a master's in fine arts in screenwriting from the David Lynch School of Cinematic Arts at Maharishi International University. That was a lot. Tom is a Kennedy Center National Sound Design Award nominee for Comedy of Errors performed at the University of Florida. He is writer and director of more than 100 independent video films. He continues touring with live performance art shows, poetry readings, videography, and currently performs on electric bass with various groups. This is a politics podcast, and so I will note he was a candidate for the Gainesville City Commission in 1995. And a little fun fact, we were born just hours apart in Florida, but I'm not going to reveal the year. Welcome to the show, Tom. How are you? I'm good. I play the electric bass, huh? It's a fish. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, <laughs> you know, it takes me a little while to get going in the morning. I've had my coffee. Yeah, that's I'm... my main thing, though, the electric bass. That's what I'm most proud of, of all those well, things. Well, that's great. <laughs> well, I've had my espresso, yeah. and, I, and I see you've had your red wine. I'm having so. my wine, yeah. You know, it's a health food, antioxidants and all that. So, Tom, what is new with you? Oh, nothing. <laughs> well, Tom, you are, after all, an expert on nothing. Well, I, I am an expert on nothing. I've been doing nothing most of my career. And, uh, I, and I must say, Tom, you're... <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I must say, Tom, you're very good at nothing. In fact, you have gotten international acclaim for it. A 2021 Euro News article was titled, quote, American artist Tom Miller, the genius who made nothing out of something. <laughs> this is real. In 2021, an Italian artist claimed to be the first to erect a statue about nothing. But in fact, you did so in 2016, and you even got a county commission proclamation, and then you threatened to sue the Italian artists. And so there, there's just so many articles about this nothing. So tell me, what the hell is this nothingness about? Well, oh boy, artists have been playing with uh, this idea of nothing and making things that are invisible for, for many, many years. You know, I was really influenced by John Cage. He He did a piano piece called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. And the way you play the piece is you sit at the piano and you don't play. Essentially what you're playing is a four minute and 33 second rest. And it just infuriated musicians because it was taken very seriously. And it functionally is music. And what happens in the rest when the piano sits uh, quiet is that everything else becomes part of the music. The person coughing next to you, uh, the bird flying overhead, whatever's happening in the room, people, you know, moving about, their clothing making noise, you know, all that becomes the music. 
And it actually so, sounds cool when you say it like that. Well, it, it is cool. Um, and I thought, you know, I'd like to do something like that and, and a little bit satirical, you know, and making fun of, uh, of the idea, but also in a very serious way. So I got a team of people. We took five days. We brought absolutely nothing into the downtown plaza, <laughs> assembled it into a giant sculpture. And then we invited people to see nothing, take pictures of nothing, enjoy the experience of interacting <laughs> with nothing. And then uh, we took another five days to take nothing out of the plaza. And people were enjoying the pun. You know, what did Tom do out there? Nothing. Have you seen nothing? Yeah, nothing is awesome. Uh, well, you it, know. Was, it was cheeky <laughs> and you got a lot of press. And, I, I did. And, and it's an anecdote to the busyness of uh, always having to do something. Right? Well, well, right. So anyway, that happened and it was a lot of fun. And um, I got into some interesting, you know, famous press doing that. But that wasn't really the point of it. The point was, it, it's actually one of the two dumbest ideas I've, <laughs> I've ever had. What's and, the other? Uh, the other dumbest <laughs> idea I've ever had, which also got national and international press was <laughs> I was going to do an art show at a punk club and I didn't have anything to do. And uh, at the time, Ted Cruz, you know, speaking of politics, oh, yeah, was making this. a lot of noise. And, uh, you know, he has a weird <clears throat> mouth, you know, like when he's smiling, he looks like he's angry and frowning. Yeah, like, and, like your governor. <laughs> so I, 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 you know, printed up a large picture of Ted Cruz and I said, <laughs> I mean, honestly, this came to me when I was taking a shower in about two minutes. I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to that punk show, and I'm just going to stare at Ted Cruz's mouth in this photograph without breaking eye contact for two hours. And I'm going to say it's the most dangerous thing <laughs> that I've ever done in performance art. And I know, seriously, and I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's like, it's like even more dangerous than being stuck in the It's a Small World ride and having to listen to that song for two hours, which, which can be, you know, mentally detrimental to, to life. And Did and, you last two hours? Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, I'm good at focus. You know, I, I do transcendental meditation and focus and being able to kind of just put my attention in one place for an extended period of time is one that, of my... That being present is so important with all of this people, their attention is on the phone and this and that, and, you know, they get emails and they're not able to focus. So that's really good. Yeah. No, you know, I, I call America short attention span theater now and like, and it's bad theater. Um, no, there's, it's not bad theater, but it's bad if it's your only theater and that you need things to happen very quickly, get to the point and you don't take any time to invest yourself in the story or the art. Right. Because sometimes, um, investing yourself deeply into something produces a more profound result. And if you only do short attention span theater and look here, look there, and you know, if it's shiny, you grab it. If it makes an explosion, you get excited. If that ends up being everything that you do, um, you're, you're just missing out. So people need to be uncomfortable with whatever unfolds and, it's, um, you know. Well, I don't know that it's, <clears throat> people need to, find that there is comfort both in a long and short view of things, in a macro and a micro view of things. It's in these contrasts and comparisons that we discover the truth of things. So even in, for example, transcendental meditation, you don't meditate for hours and hours and hours and disappear. You go down deep and meditate and you enliven, you know, the, the sort of cosmic unified field and it enlivens you. And then after 20 minutes, you pop back up. 
Right. And, and, and you're, you, you're more relaxed, you're more aware. And, and this is the same thing with, you know, seeing movies. <clears throat> I see a lot of people say, well, I've got to see a, uh, I'm not going to see a three hour movie. I, I don't want to go to the bathroom out of time. I wish movies were just like they're supposed to be, you know, an hour and a half or whatever. And there need to be explosions, you know, yeah. and stuff has to be happening all the time. Yes, yeah. Um, but I'm telling you, uh, you know, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, I was going to Such ask an you extraordinary about that. We're going to get to that later. Yeah, worth every point. And you get the emotional impact from it because you have walked a mile with these characters. You've taken the time to invest and live in their world um, and see things through their eyes. And that requires effort. It requires right. commitment to the work <clears throat> on the part of the audience. And that's how you get the deepest experiences. Let me just say something briefly about meditation. You know, uh, you know sometimes uh, dark thoughts come up, trauma comes up. So I guess we just have to accept whatever comes up. And, you know, these thoughts are like little ants on a picnic table, just watch them go. And a lot of people have trouble with that. They don't understand meditation. They think that it's just going to be bliss. And so um, you, you make a very interesting point. There are many different types of meditation. I'd say it's probably valuable to do any and all of them. I happen to think transcendental meditation stands in a, in a unique place. But getting to your point of meditation, this idea that dark things come up, they do. They need to. Right. You let them go. They come up because you've, you've stopped everything and you've, you've given yourself attention. Right. We don't give ourselves enough attention. We're always external. And we go running around with what, what they call the monkey mind. Yeah. Gotta, gotta do this. Gotta do that. Gotta, gotta, yes. gotta, gotta. Monkey mind. And yeah, no I'm matter, trying to tame my monkey mind. It's hard. It, it, well, it, it isn't. It, we're trained to believe that it's hard. Right. But actually, at least in the case of transcendental meditation, it's the one time when you don't have to do anything. Right. You, you maybe do a mantra for a little while, but the mantra goes away. You kind of, it's just a tool to get you under underwater. You know what I mean? It's just a, yeah, it's just a, a ride people, down. I think a lot of people who haven't meditated, and you, know, you and I have, uh, you know, they think it's hard to sit on a special cushion and my back's going to hurt and blah, blah, blah. And I yeah. think they should just try just doing nothing. No, you just sit in a chair, close your eyes and just, just be quiet. Um, that's, the, that's a good start to meditation. <laughs> so Tom, tell me about the longest running continuous open mic show in the United States. Uh, okay. I started that show back in 19, you know, it's a little loosey goosey, 1984, 85, about the time I moved to Gainesville and I was starting to uh, kind of perform in clubs and open mics and things. And uh, I just eventually evolved hosting an open mic talent show into a kind of a, a kind of a world that has a bit of a cast, mm -hmm. a bit of a crew, and we totally embrace freedom of speech. Um, no matter how offensive it is, we're, we're accused of being quite offensive. Um, but we're also completely open to anybody's point of view. Well, that's doesn't great. matter. It doesn't matter your gender, sexual orientation, <clears throat> socioeconomic status. Um, we we only we only discriminate against age because like you can't get into a bar if you're, you're <laughs> right. under eighteen. And we don't do that. The bar does that. Right. And um, you know. And so that that's really great in these polarized times. So if somebody walked in with a MAGA hat, they'd be welcome. They would be welcome. Now I can't promise that they're going to have the, the kindest experience. But I mean, there are, there are people who are very, very sort of liberal and open-minded and they offend people who don't want to go that far, you know? Yeah. Like for example, we have a guy called the naked poet yes. and he just, he's a nudist and he likes to take his clothes off while he's reading. That sounds and cool. And we let him. 
And uh, when he's standing there completely naked, you know, I mean, to some people, he's not the most, you know, maybe... Uh, let's let's just say that let's just say <laughs> he that doesn't have Ryan Reynolds. Some, body. some people don't want to see what right. he has to offer. Right? Yeah, he doesn't. Ha- <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look like Timothy Chalamet. Or right. Anybody. And then usually about the time that he's either wearing a, a pair of tight short panties <laughs> or he's completely naked, that's about the time he breaks into his Bob Dylan voice <laughs> and begins doing Bob Dylan songs because he's a huge Bob Dylan fan. <laughs> now I want to go to this show. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and. A lot of people think he's fun. You know, he's a real good person. He does a lot uh, to help um, home, homeless, for example. You know, he wants to feed everybody and, um, you know, raise raise the awareness that, that we're dealing with people here and they need help and support. It's wonderful. Et cetera, et cetera. He's a really, you know, in that, in that respect, he's a great guy. And uh, But some people just can't stand that act. Well, some people are looking for reasons to offend themselves, which we'll probably talk about later. Yeah, always. yeah. So um, we let him go. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you don't let him go, like kick him out. You just let no, him. No, we let, let him, him We let him do his thing. Yeah, that's and a if distinction. He takes, you know, most open mic nights are very restrictive. You know, you get three songs, or you get to do, um, you know, uh, uh, five minutes, and then then they just start lighting you, and you've got to get off the stage. At our show, if it's going particularly well mm-hmm. or particularly badly, I like to leave it going. And uh, and so people don't always go exactly in order, which can be very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Some people may show up early and never get on, <laughs> you know. And I'm a open mic participant. I I take that very personally. I get so angry. And so of course we have that as a tool. So you don't know how long it's going to go on. It could end different times. Uh, you know, I'm ultimately in charge <laughs> of whether people continue or not. Um, but if it's causing an uprising in the crowd in terms of either their incredible delight or their abject rejection of whatever's going on, I'm delighted. Right. We don't want anything average and in the middle. We want it to suck so bad that it verges on art or be so great. I'm kind of like that you with know. theater and movies. Like yeah. if it's so bad, it's funny, or if it's so good, yeah. the mundane is pretty, you can get that anywhere, right? Yeah, well, I mean, that's uh, there's, a, there's a quality to bad art if it's bad in a certain way. Um, that's why John Waters, he embraces, he embraces all the off-putting things. He, he says, rebel, you know, if there's no smoking, he's going to light up. If but you're I, not you know, supposed I to, sh- you know what I, I mean? I don't think of him as bad. I just think of him as counterculture. Well, he, I, you know, it depends <laughs> on your point of view, but yeah. I mean, bad is just a word and it's just subjective. And some people, uh, when they're kids, they think Vienna sausages are terrific out of the can. God, I'm going to get nauseous. They, they couldn't eat more Vienna sausages if they tried when they're kids. Uh, and then when they grow up and they develop a palate, they might argue that Vienna sausages are bad. Um, I like to re-experience my childhood and we've actually served Vienna sausages to my audience to bring them back to their childhood and almost everybody grows well, out. Could, but you could, well, I was going <laughs> to say, you could probably uh, dress them up being a foodie. So, you know, you're obviously an accomplished artist and, and, you know, I remember when you were really active in the music scene when we were in college together. So how did you get started in music and theater? My aunt... Alice, who lived in the house with us, uh, was a piano teacher and played um, piano uh, for the church, played the church or- organ. I was raised a Southern Baptist, believe it or not. 
Um, and not, not, not to, yeah, I know you're coughing, you're choking no, on good. your wine. Yeah. It's the red wine. You know, I'm not a drinker. No, it was when I said Southern Baptist. Well, the combination of that, <laughs> we're not going to edit this out. I don't think you should. The, the combination of, of red wine and I don't normally drink. Well, but. you know, wine is uh, sacred. And well, so, um, okay. So you're a uh, Southern Baptist. Yeah. And, and, but it was, it wasn't the kind of fire and brimstone and, you know, get bit by snakes type type thing. It was more like, hey, everybody, try and get along and read the nice things and come on in the house and have dinner and love and respect everybody. It was kind of like that. But, you know, if you would have marched some of the people from my show into that church, you would have found out real quick how how not truly nice maybe right. they would have yes, been. Yes, yes, yes. You know. So as an artist, who's the person that has inspired Tom Miller the most? Uh, you know, Paul McCartney in the, in the world of uh, music. Um, E- easily um, River Phoenix in the world of acting. Um, and I've actually, you know, everybody's met him, but I actually yeah. met him right around here downtown. Yeah, you yeah, sure, sure, sure. I did know him. And then, um, you know, uh, Yoko Ono, Andy Warhol. Um, I really like artists that push the envelope and that uh, invite dialogue and controversy. Um, there you have it. All right. Well, um, that's really good. Yeah. So we're just going to do quick things. Favorite musical artist of the year. Of this, this year? This year. Wow. That's a good question. I really, I'm impressed with uh, Lana Del Rey. Okay. I like her vibe. I like her aesthetic. So most admired actor in all time. And you've hinted at this. Gee, you got it. You really, you know, when you make, <laughs> when you make people pick one, I like it. Okay. Well, I pick, like more, it. pick more than one. You've already hinted at Um so. Uh, I'm 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 really impressed with uh, lately with uh, Barry and I'm going to mangle his last name even though I'm allegedly Irish. Uh, Kogan, did I say that? That right? sounds right. Yeah, I'm Irish. Yeah, he's uh, he's so interesting and 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 I'll tell you that that uh, you know in the Banshees movie, I mean the character that he played Banshees was mind blowing. Banshees in the Sheeran. Yeah, the the control he had over his body. His his performance, um, his embracing of that sort of innocent character, he deserved every accolade. I can't wait to see what he does. When next. I saw that movie, I it's like when I saw everything, everywhere, all at once, or whatever. I didn't know what to make of it. It's like I saw it, and you know, I don't like to do groupthink where the people I'm with tell me it's good, so it's good. So I like to just tune out what other people say and think. And you probably do this too. And I didn't know what to make of it. It's like, oh, it's boring and shitty. And then I, later I'm like, oh, it's brilliant. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, you liked it, right? You, uh, did you think it was brilliant or boring? Everything Everywhere? No, no, no. Uh, Banshees of an Oh, I, I, it's, one, it's in my top 10 films now. Okay. Um, because it But t- did you know it right away? Or? Yeah. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, I tend to evaluate films from a thematic point of view. So, for example, now one question you could ask me, what are your top films? Okay. Uh, easily, I can say Harold and Maude. Oh, I love that. Again, oh my God, I, I love the, it. The, the nature of an oh, unusual love, uh, love, love relationship. Oh my God, I love that. Um, uh, you know, Blade Runner, and and uh, to an equal extent, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I thought would suck. It turned out to be, it turned out to deepen Blade Runner and uh, the idea of uh, what is reality and and and, and AI and uh, uh, what is the compassion for you know? Do we really know if if we're real? All these different components thematically are there. Aguirre, The Wrath of God by uh, Werner Herzog. F for Fake by um, um, Orson Welles, which I think is a far superior film to the one he's lauded for. F for Fake is uh, is about, again, 
can you believe what you see? How do you know something is authentic? Mm-hmm. And does it does it matter or does authorship matter to a great work in yeah. the long run? Yeah. You know. You want to pause? No, no. Is it recording? Oh yeah, we're okay. good. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> I think you should leave all the And we're not gonna the, edit this out. I don't think oh you my should. god. Well, well you, you know do whatever you want. No, I know. Well, my podcasts have been schmurious. I've interviewed academics and stuff, and so this will be sort of something different to end the year with. And yeah. so um, yeah. Some people might even like it. I like I like how things the warts. Yeah, I like the 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 things that are not perfect. Um, I like getting things done very quickly. I like the rough shod feeling, and maybe that's why I couldn't come up with any new musicians because there aren't many rough edges to the new musicians. Everything is perfect. Everything is polished. Everything is computer assisted or even computer generated. Um, yeah, you know, auto tune and, and all these other things. And and what what is the storytelling of, of, of modern music? Is there storytelling in modern music? There doesn't have to be. But when I go back and I listen to the Rolling Stones, for example, even the new Rolling Stones, um, it sounds like six guys in six different bands falling down a hill. Is, right, is, they, is he a good singer? I don't there know. Have, there actually have been some remakes I like, like The Sound of Silence. I forget that band. Oh, that guy. Yeah, but, but I mean, look, that sounds great, and it's very powerful mm-hmm. what he did. But, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like, you know, it's it, it reminds me of, say, well, let's take, you know, let's take, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not going to talk. You're anymore. not going to get in trouble on <laughs> politics, considering. Okay. You know, let's let's take a movie and this time we're going to make uh, uh, Captain Marvel a woman, or we're going to make Superman black, or we're going to make, uh, you know, it, you know, you take a thing, you switch out one thing, you get all the stuff because the familiarity of the film, mm-hmm. because it's a remake or because you've addressed, uh, you know, um, you, you know, uh, culture. And, you know, I, re- I actually want to see these stories and I want to see them done by the people who know best. I want to see black directors doing black stories mm-hmm. with black writers. I want to see that. So, you know, that just makes me think that um, there are a lot of um, tr- uh, trans people don't like it when straight people play trans and they they think that trans characters should be played by trans. So do you agree with that? I just fuck that. And, and I'll tell you why. Okay, great. Um, oh, disagreement is wonderful. Well, you know, here's why. Because they're acting. Yeah, actors act. Now, is there a problem in Hollywood? Is there a problem in the system in general that we don't have more black filmmakers? Why do we not? Right. You know, I was in a class literally called Blacks in Film was the name of the class. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I saw the most incredible um, movies. And I thought to myself, you know. These are not seen, um, right. and, and they're 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 not heard, and they aren't given the same um, promotion. And uh, say, you know, same thing with um, women directors yeah. and so, d- directors from from other countries. I want to see these right. stories. Right. So what I'm hearing is any but you know, straight people can play, gay people, gay people, play, straight people, whatever. But we need more BIPOC, LGBTQ plus women actors in general, and then anybody can play any, anything, right? Yes, but those actors that you describe mm-hmm. are, you know, they're typically, uh, and, and have been for, for all time. Stereotype. E- either stereotype played by other, you know, played by other actors that they shouldn't. Like for example, you know, if you go back and look at the old Westerns, you know, all of the Indians are played by clearly, you know, yeah. um, um, you, you don't see you don't see indigenous people right. playing. And and as a matter of fact, maybe the story is completely biased against them. You can go back in the lens of anything in history, judge it by today's standards, and 
completely dismiss it. I think what we need to do is we need to empower um, uh, the, the the methods by which we need we just need more filmmakers diversity yeah and, and diversity but you you can't force it right I know that's this is the, the problem that's the issue and, so, and by the way as an actor you know why people be, get into acting because they want to understand what it is to be somebody they're not mm -hmm. they want to portray something that that they're not yeah and you know what's great about movies you get to go around the world and see another story from another culture. So if you watch a Japanese film or you watch a French film or watch an Indian film, um, you you instantly, it's just like eating eating food from another culture. You somehow instantly get a sense of, of, yeah, Mark Twain of, said of these travel, stories. Mark Twain said travel is fatal to prejudice. You know, Mark Twain lands exactly on the point that I'm trying to make. These, are, these can be um, tools or they can be weapons. Right. And I am really uh, lamenting the decline of art house theaters. But me too. Yeah, I'm dementing the decline of house parties where where up and coming punk bands can play just for fun. And you did a lot of those. Oh, oh I did tons of those. But you know, then then they invented the party patrol, <laughs> and the purpose of the party patrol was to go on whatever early social media was or find the the posters. And if a party was going to happen, the cops would come to the place where it was oh, going to happen yeah, yeah, yeah. and intimidate the party of uh, whoever owned the house. Yeah. If we catch anybody drinking underage, we can, you know, you're go you're going to jail. Yeah. If we hear any noise complaints, we're going to shut this thing down yeah. and just just come in like a like an opposing force. And then basically they took away all that fertile ground that helped musicians yeah. to get into little clubs, that helped get to bigger clubs, that helped them get discovered by more people, that then they get to go around and actually make a living playing their music. Yeah, I mean, I was doing Five Elements Dance and it can be loud. And so the person, Riley, who organizes them here, he had to find a place way out in the country, which is fine, but you can't always do that, right? You know, like a house, you know, surrounded by land where nobody's gonna complain. Uh, you know, you can, but then then here's what you get, what you do. You go out to that house, and because you're kind of stuck there, you drink more, and now you gotta get in your well, car right. and yeah. drive this long, yeah. long drive home. Yeah, that's a problem. You know, I didn't think I'd have a good segue to this, because I'm gonna talk about food, but, but food brings people together, especially different cultures, so you're, Right, the foodie. I remember when you were a food critic for what newspaper was that? Uh, I, I, I wasn't much of a food critic. I criticized the food critic quite frequently. Well, you were, <laughs> I, I saw somewhere in print that you, or something, I don't know. But well, I do, I do, I do some um, reviews on my own blog. And you're, you refer to yourself as the asshole chef? Uh, at times, that's a character I play. I did some food videos, um, <laughs> you, you know, um, that were supposed to be um, quality cooking, but in an asshole sort of a way. It's just a character I play. Yeah, and you play it well. Yeah, um, and I don't like the word foodie. I think foodie, foodie reminds me of people who go out to eat to show you that they they are eating in a snooty place. And they, or, they post it on Facebook. Yeah, they just want to be seen. So what word? Nice what life. word would you use? Well, I love. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. It's more like. Um, exploring culture you know it's more like a allocentric just sort of what's like, that what's that word where you where you kind of secretly observe um you know a, a society and you take notes and an and, anthropologist and yeah, it's, yeah exactly it's an it's an anthropologist of culture 
using food as a medium. That's that's right. Much but more when you're when you're good, at, you're good at it. That's why I called you foodies. We'll have to come up with another word for when yeah, you're I good know, anthropologist. Just food, foodie just seems so. I know. Well, we're gonna strike yeah. that from the record. No, I'm I'm a, I'm a uh, anthropologist who explores storytelling through uh, cuisine. Okay. Maybe that's what. And then synthesizes and, and, and presents it. Okay. Well, yeah, I experience it. I mean, I. I want to know what, why it is. Okay, take this for example. Here's the United States. Yes. And people who grow up in the West eat big giant meals all the time. A lot of a lot of people here. This isn't true of everybody, of course, but I mean, it's just a kind of a general feeling that people eat to fuel up and, and just get energy to go to their next thing. Nom 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 nom. Go to Not the next thing. Not for pleasure, like in Paris. Not for pleasure. And they don't understand tasting menus. They're like, well, I can't get a full meal out of a tasting <laughs> menu, know, and I'm like. That's not the, the point of the tasting right. menu. To savor. Tasting menu is to to try something you've never tried and go, oh my god, I would have never thought of eating a I would have never thought of eating a bug. Mm-hmm. Or I or that's a that's a fruit unfamiliar to me and I've got to try it. Well it's like kids here, you know, they have just a few things they can eat, chicken nuggets or whatever, and kids in Europe, oh my God, they've eaten everything. I mean that's not that's broad, but like most, in Paris. Most of the world has insects in their diet. Oh yeah. Um, we think they're weird. They have a lot of protein. We're the weirdos. Yeah, there's a lot of protein. Because we don't appreciate um, the value of insect uh, protein and flavors. Yeah, protein. I do have a problem with fish eyes in my soup, but that's just me. You, know? uh, you just got to kind of close your eyes and uh, go, <laughs> go for it and bite into it. And it's fine. So, okay, so what, <laughs> what are some culinary discoveries and epiphanies you've had recently, and feel free to throw in a recipe. Um, rather than answering that question, I'm gonna give you a little anecdote okay. related to this idea of uh, your distaste for fish eyes. Okay, great. A friend of mine who passed away is a great scientist, uh, made a milkshake, and he's drinking the milkshake, and there's something solid in the milkshake, and he's, he's you know, he's going, you know, running around his mouth, wonder what the heck that is, kind of chewing on it, he really didn't have any problem with it. He just didn't know what it was. And then when he looked into the bottom of the glass and saw the back half of a roach in there, the instant he knew what it was, then and only then did his body kick in with incredible revulsion. He probably, you know, vomited everywhere and um, probably isn't, you know, never drank a milkshake again. Or, yeah. or, or, or anyway. It's like blind taste but, testing. Yeah, my point is that we are, we have a, a training about what is good and what isn't based on the way that we're raised. And I don't like to be imprinted. I like to think that I'm the owner operator of my body and mind. And the only way I'm going to get to experience the full richness of my okay. machine that I own is to challenge and explore breaking the rules. Okay, Mr. Miller, notwithstanding allergies, is there any food you will not eat? Yes, there are okay. a couple of foods I will not eat. <clears throat> I'm never going to eat anything having to do with a monkey. Um, I never even thought and, about it. And here's the thing. If I was an anthropologist, it would be incumbent upon me to eat a monkey. No. If, if, yeah, if that was my area of exploration. Do you think Jane Goodall ate monkeys? I, no, no, not Jane Goodall, but I'm saying <laughs> uh, anthropologists often have to watch things that oh. are and the total antithesis of everything that they have come to believe because they are there to take the record. They're there to get the information. Experience. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, there are things that can be seen in other cultures that are perfectly normal to those cultures. Okay, so I'm glad you don't eat monkeys. Anything totally else you don't ab- eat? abhorrent to us. Uh, I don't eat monkeys. Uh, <laughs> I probably, eat, you know, oh, and, and I'm never, ever, I guarantee you this, 
I'm never ever going to drink any alcoholic drink that is derived from the saliva of the of the uh, of the people that live in the village. Not having that. Okay. You know, yeah. uh, I don't have any interest in eating a live beating cobra heart. Okay, um, me either. I, I don't eat pork, and people ask me why, and I, just, I don't just, have to give an you know, explanation. You don't have to eat everything. It's just it's just good to keep an open mind and yes. try things you haven't. Take this, for example. Remember, there was a time, we're old enough to know this, that the idea of, of, of raw fish is just, just no. Just no, period, no. Yeah. Then when sushi shows up, well, that's just weird. And of course, and it then, had been in Asia and forever. Then, and then, as soon as we start screwing with uh, traditional sushi, and you know, now it's got strawberries and cream cheese, and it's and you know, it's been westernized, and it's got fake crab in it, and you can buy it down at Publix. Sushi isn't even generally questioned. There are certainly people who will never eat sushi and who have no appreciation for it. Most people. You're excited to go down to the Publix and get the $5 cheap sushi. On the, but, you know, Asians yeah. were sort of laughing at us when this was, what was this, the 80s? I don't know, when yeah. it started. They're like, oh, we've been eating this forever. See, I don't, I don't know if you can say Asians. <laughs> well, I don't know if you can say Just that. people in general. Yeah. From um, around the world. Yeah, yeah, people from other cultures and, and where, where sushi is a regular thing for them. Um, well, you know, yeah. forever, uh, people, I think it was the, some Alaskan tribes or Native Americans, you know, it would be raw fish and right, whatever you can get to survive. There's yeah. a lot of protein. Yeah. Okay, so what is the best restaurant in Denmark? Man, first of all, with uh, maybe Noma leading the way, the, well, I mean, the, you've the, been the new Nordic cuisine. Yes. Um, I love everything. But I'm talking about that you've been to. Well, I went to, I've, I've eaten at Noma, uh, Noma in Denmark, and I've and also eaten at, their, at their pop-up at, at Mexico. Okay. Noma um, is, uh, uh, you know, Chef Rene Redzepi's restaurant. He, it's interesting. He's a Danish immigrant, by the way, and, and yet he's been knighted as a Dane oh, for nice. what he has brought to the culture through food, through storytelling, through um, um, the scientific exploration of cuisine, through reintroducing Denmark to its own ingredients, yes. um, his uh, um, you know uh, passion for foraging, um, oh, yeah. for for eating what is right there, oh, yeah. uh, for creating a sense of time and place yes. on the plate, so that it's more than just eating food. It's like it's like really you know an, an, an emotional experience, an artistic experience, all of the different things. Uh, fermentation is much more accepted around the world now, because largely because of the influence of uh, Rene Redzepi. And you see movies that are made that actually attack his way of doing things, like The Menu is a movie. Oh, and God. of course, The Bear. I actually liked television The Menu. Show. I thought it would be too dark for me, and I loved it. It was hilarious. I love The Bear. It was fun. Anyway, Rene Redzepi was directly affected by these things and quote unquote closed his restaurant. He didn't really close it, he just reoriented it so now they're mostly doing research development and special special um seasonal openings of the of the restaurant favorite restaurant in florida uh soseki omakase in what? orlando orlando if that were my last meal before i died i'd be very happy that's not the one in universal they have a one michelin star Michel michelin just started handing out um stars in florida 
and it's an omakase restaurant. Where is it in Orlando? I don't know. It's Orlando. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> I get driven. I get driven there, and I sit down, oh, and, that's I, good. and whatever they put in front of you, you eat it. Okay. There's a guy named Benjamin Coates, who's the uh, the uh, uh, beverage director. You just drink whatever he pours, nice. eat whatever they serve, oh, that and just good. say thank you and you get, get the fuck. You out don't of have it. the stress of having to make choices. Um, so what about New York? And I know you've been to upstate New York, where my mother. Yeah, where, I've been to great uh, restaurants in, in in New York. What is the best? Re- there's no well, way. There's no way to do that. You can do three or four. Okay. Uh, what about the Catskills or upstate New York? I know you uh, went there. I went to well in. Uh, I think it's Earlton. I went to. Oh, I've been um, to Earlton. I went to um, um, Damon Burrell, um, which is a restaurant. Is that the one that's hard to get into? It, well, they. At one time, it was claimed they had a 10-year waiting list and then a five-year waiting list. Um, I wrote an essay to the chef, and uh, it was my birthday. I I, I pitched every angle. Come on, man. It's my birthday. I love this. You know, I've been to Noma, but I know that you foraged way before this guy. The guy that, you know, Damon Burrell... All of the food that he presents at the restaurant comes on his 12-acre property. I think he sends out for one or two proteins, you know, fish or whatever. Um, So the next time I'm in upstate New York, instead of the five or 10-year wait, I'm going to have to write an essay and do something? No, I know some secrets about how to get into that place Okay, we'll talk about that later. Don't Uh, share. Damon Burrell, that's the weirdest. Uh, I feel like I I had dinner with Yoda or a Keebler elf or, or some, something that doesn't exist. And, and by the way, may or may not be, um, you know, I mean, people say he's faking it. I don't think he's faking anything. If he was a bullshit artist, it would take 10 to 15 times. Now remind us who you're talking about. Damon Burrell. Okay. It would take 10, 10 to 20 times more hard work to fake what he claims when he's serving you food than to actually do it. And I went there, I saw what he does. I went there with a, a chef friend of mine. It was mind blowing. How much does it cost? A lot. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> too yeah, much. Fair but, enough. But listen, it it's less than Disney World. <laughs> and this isn't just everything's less than this Disney. This isn't World. just eating dinner. It's not just eating no, dinner. No, I get it. I get These it. These are when you go to a place like this. It changes your life. No, I get it. We live in a capitalist society and people want to know how much stuff costs. Yeah, people are like, I ain't paying $1,000 to eat leaves. <laughs> well, then that, don't. don't. You know, there's a long, there's enough people, there's a five-year waiting list of enough people who will. No, go down to the go down to the golden, you know, corral and oh, graze God. as long as you want, all right? Oh, God, you're going to be nauseous. Okay, so, <laughs> all right, I know you don't like to just have one choice. I was going to ask you who your okay person of the year so you can have more than one person. Uh, and this is kind of one of those perfunctory tropes. All right, what's questions. the question? The person what of is the your year? Person of the year. Just in general? Yeah, this year. I know it's it's a trite, trivial, perfunctory uh, question. You know, I just uh, I like to put thought into things and I don't want to bore your audience. Person of the year. Person of the year. Person okay, of well, the while year. you're thinking, I'll tell you mine. All right. Mine's yeah. quite boring. Well, let me hear yours. Anthony Blinken. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because he's a workhorse and not a showboat. And and this is going to get us into this is going to be our segue into politics. But, you know, it's like the news is all about these catastrophes, right? If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. They don't talk about things that don't happen because people are mitigating them or behind the scenes working to avoid catastrophes. I, I'm just I just respect him a lot. And he doesn't seek attention or acclaim. He just gets shit done behind the scenes. And most people don't even know what he's getting done. Mm-hmm. But. Anyway, so now I've given you time to think about your person of the year, but we can okay. always skip it. All right. Uh, my person of the year is Yoko Ono. Okay. There. All right. So this is, after all, 
<laughs> Sorry, that's my personal. No, year. there's no right answer. This yep. is, after all, a political podcast. So yeah. you know what? You know why, Yoko? Please tell. Um, she has unwaveringly contextualized her music, her art, her life, her primal scream that in equal parts enrages others and inspires yes. um, to peace. Yeah, so not Taylor Swift. Okay. No, so in, not Taylor Swift. I'm just I just alienated all the Swifters. If Yoko Ono did one of her scary screams, Taylor Swift would explode. We've just alienated all the Swifters out there, but I don't think they're my main. That's audience. great news. <laughs> oh God. So in, in, I'm gonna get complaints. In nineteen ninety-five, you ran for Gainesville City Committee. Laughter is good for the immune system, much like the red wine. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi says that laughter is the highest state. Nice. You know, I try to laugh and have a sense of humor, but it's hard when other people don't like. They don't get my sarcasm, and mm -hmm. you know, you're quick witted. So you Anthony Robbins, you know the 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 you know uh, empowerment guru, love him or hate him, uh, he made an interesting point, and it pro he probably stole this from someone else. But the point was that if you just smile and laugh, even if it isn't authentic. Even if it isn't, um, Phyllis Diller did if that. If you just go, <laughs> Phyllis Diller did that. Um, it activates in your brain and it sends chem chemistry through your body, and it actually is like taking a pill to make you happy. Do you remember Phyllis Diller? Of course, I remember. Phyllis. She would just go <laughs> to everything, and yeah. then other people would laugh. And yeah, anywho, so in nineteen, if you make yourself laugh, you you, it's like taking a, it's Thank like you. taking a. a a drug that makes you happy. So if you tickle somebody, that will work too. Just laugh like. for 30 seconds, even when it isn't funny, and you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll just feel a little better. <laughs> oh, God. Woo! Oh, my God. Better? Nobody will ever listen to my but podcast. But don't you feel better? Yeah, I feel great. Strangely? We're just hanging out with you. Okay. But yes, no, I do feel better. And it's go. not strange. So in 1995, we're never going to get through this. Probably the wine. And... <laughs> Yeah, I tell people I don't drink, so this is not alcohol. No, I'm drinking for you. Okay, thank You're you. You're drinking coffee. Yeah, the coffee's red. In 1995, you ran for Gainesville City Commission, and this is in North Central Florida. Nobody's heard of it. Well, they do watch American football, University of Florida. Hey, we were on The Simpsons. Okay, well, that, that counts for something. I held signs, voted for you, as I said. A lot, of, and you ran as a Democrat, I believe, and a lot of the Democrat political elites here did not take you seriously. Until the first debate, I actually watched that debate, and you were clearly the smartest on the dais, and you had the best command of the issues. And, you know, I just think they were not expecting such brilliant walkingness and charm from such an eclectic artisan. And, you know, they probably written you off. Don't be offended. Um, and I think there was something where you had naked uh, your butt print somewhere in the newspaper said that, that that just... Yeah, I did a naked press conference. Yeah, and the, and the newspaper said that you couldn't be a good politician, it would probably be the best. So as I recall, you got a lot more votes than expected and got a lot of attention. So what issues did you run? I know you were ahead of your time on um, some things. Yeah, I well, uh, I was running because I was so mad at another candidate and I thought that the worst I could do is Ross Perot, this guy, out of politics. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly Spoiler what Spoiler effect. That's what actually happened. Um, he, he lost. I pulled some votes from him. And weirdly, he was the right-leaning the right guy. 
and I, I pulled some, you know, sort of libertarian votes, mm -hmm. a few Democratic votes, and then Sandy Calkins won. And she, I think she, you'd say yeah. she was better. She did. Than a, I think she did one term, but she was just great. I mean, yeah. she was fine. She was wonderful. Um, so you served an important purpose. You got the right. You 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 spoiler affected the guy that was the a hole. I just wanted to make my town better, and I wanted to get my um, views on the record, which essentially represent people who supported me. And your views, a lot of your views were ahead of your time, like civilian review boards yeah, and renters' right. rights, and what else? Uh, civilian review board, renters' renters' rights. Um, I wanted to uh, dedicate more of the um, of the city budget to recreational opportunities, especially for, for young people who don't have anything to do. Now they're doing it. You know, and uh, I wanted uh, I wanted Gainesville to find a balance between uh, quality growth, but maintaining the integrity huh. of uh, the, the type of town it is, which is, a, you know, a small artist town. And people keep saying, well, Gainesville is one of the fastest per capita growing, you know, uh, cities in the country, and we just got to say yes to everything. Well, no, we have we you know we can be gatekeepers. Is right way to do it? And say no, and have things be in balance. You keep know? the weird in Gainesville. Well, for sure, keep the weird in Gainesville. There's a flying pig parade on. Yeah, this in a few days. Listen, it isn't up to us. Gainesville is the known center of the universe. The weird will always be here. So we are in downtown Gainesville right now. Is where we're so we're sitting in the black. What, what is this? This is to? the Black Sea Art Gallery. It's fabulous. And right across the street is Maud's Cafe. Is that where the center of the universe? If is? If you walk in the door of Maud's Cafe, a locally owned coffee shop. Yes, that's right. The very the seat just to your right as you walk in. It's a little it's a little two person seat with a table. That is the known center of the universe. I have only popularized this. I'm not the discoverer of that. The person who discovered the known center of the universe is actor Shamrock McShane, who okay. is a creative partner of mine, and he he's too humble to promote. His discovery. I kind of hope the listeners are drinking wine right now when they're listening to this. Yeah, it'll only make this podcast better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, so, so what was the experience of running for office like? Um, I did it in a weird way. I, I said I, I cannot authentically run for office if I don't really know what's going on here. And so I, I announced my candidacy one year <laughs> well, I, before yeah. the election. And then during that year, I attended every single city commission meeting. I was impressed. From start to finish, every single one for the full year, every single- You did your research. I visited every single committee and every single subcommittee that the city had at least once. I went to everything. And that's- Everything. Kind of, and and yeah. then I, and I talked to everybody. Mm -hmm. I talked to everybody no matter where they were coming from. And people were trying to influence me. Some people said, well, you need to turn Republican. Some people said, um, well, you, you, you don't know what's going on unless you go here and unless you talk to this person. And frankly, a lot of the best information I ever got was from, from two things that I did on a regular basis. And it was drinking at the bar at Lillian's mm -hmm. because all the gossip and talk, all the politicos, all the judges. Uh, For our those, listeners, it's near the courthouse. Downtown. Yeah, it's a, it's a classic Gainesville bar. And then I went to Mike's bookstore. Mike's bookstore was a, was a, was a, some old timers ran a bookstore. They sold pipes. They sold fedoras. You know mm, what I mean? And yeah. they've been here since since the beginning, at the dawn of man. And these guys loved me, and I loved them. 
I talked to the people at Lewis's Hamburgers, Lewis's Lunch. I talked to everybody. Yeah, I really of, did the door to door. A lot of politicians, like for example, I hate to mention him, Governor DeSantis. He doesn't really get out and listen to people, and he sort of overestimated this culture war bullshit. So you listen to people, you found out what they really. Do you remember what percentage of the vote you got? Because I know it was more than expected. I don't, I don't know, but it was a, it was a spoiler percentage. Oh yes, well it was more than. So I don't remember. Expected. I don't. Remember. You got the most votes per dollar. I'll say that. I well, think. I didn't. I you know I had my I believe my total campaign budget was maybe. Forty-two hundred bucks. But you know. had a lot of because I I was holding signs and you had a lot of friends who were volunteering and holding signs. It was kind of a smoking campaign. I had a lot of uh, support from people who were willing to give their time and energy. And in terms of money, I was only taking small contributions from individuals, and I was I had zero interest in taking any of the sort of organized money. Senator Bernie Sanders, I will not accept corporate donations. Yeah, well, I didn't, I, you know, honestly, I didn't like the Republican structure at all, uh, but I didn't really, I didn't really <clears throat> like the Democratic sort of Alachua uh, uh, County structure either, um, even though I, you know, the Democratic principles at the time were exactly in my ballpark. Mm -hmm. I thought they were, I thought, I thought everybody was just being, too rigid or too yeah, just part. disingenuous. You have to do this if you're going to be a part of our thing, and you have yeah, to do that. Yeah. And by the way, uh, the city politics, uh, I think it's still current, and at the time were were alleged to be 100% nonpartisan. They're still 100% partisan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only a small group of people yeah. that vote. Oh yeah. And those people who vote, this this is the yeah, main. Yeah, no, this is important. Thing. I want our listeners to know this because yeah. my students listen to this. Nonpartisan is BS generally, especially in informed communities. That in Gainesville, you know, people go to council meetings and they, they, so the Democratic leads look up and they see that this person's registered Democrat, they find out their issues and they get behind them. So nonpartisan is kind of, you know, yeah, just a, um, it's yeah. a very tiny percentage of people. Uh, I, I would, I would say, venture to say that this is probably true in many, many towns that run things. A very small percentage of people vote. I, it, you know, we were lucky to have 13% turnout of total voters. And partly that's because we have transient students that come through here who could give a shit. So, um, yeah, I have a friend who I was trying to help run for judge, and he would have been a great judge, Tom, mm -hmm. Sam Stafford, mm -hmm. you probably know. And he's a hearing officer. And he's a registered independent. And so the Democratic governor wasn't going to appoint him. He didn't want to ask for money. And so he couldn't, he didn't think he could win. But, you know, it's the people who would be best at governing don't want to campaign and the people who campaign and beg for money and do corrupt things are the worst at governing. So it's just this paradox, right? We were talking about something interesting and, and you mentioned it earlier. I like my diversity. Yes. I like that I can talk to anybody. Okay. I don't care if it's a a right winger, a left winger, a, a MAGA person. I mean, I'll call people on, on, on their shit from my point of view, but I try to keep very open-minded and see where can we, where can we respect our differences um, and where can we uh, come together? I really try to do that. You were telling about ye old barn. Tell ye us old, about that. Okay, well, I'll get, I'll get to the old barn. <laughs> um, that, the old barn is like a dream world that lives in what I'm about to explain to you, which, which is if you have a diverse range of people that you can t 
effectively communicate with, and if you're open-minded enough to hear their stories, you are virtually unelectable. Right. You would think that would make you the most electable because well, you can communicate with most people. It makes you the least electable. Right. If I can talk to a homeless Vietnam veteran who is hooked on crack Which you do. in the exact same way that I can talk to a doctor at uh, Shands Authenticity. or a you know or 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 or, or some you know some um, corporate executive, if I can have a communication and as I walk down the street, everybody will say, "Hey, Tom." It's a, a large group of people. Zero chance of getting elected. And those are the people I want as judges and in general elected officials. Somebody will listen to to everybody and make a make a you know a reasoned solution. So the old barn. <laughs> the old barn is kind of my church. Okay, talk um, about so. Just explain. It's like the old a barn hole is one in the, the wall. It's one of the oldest, maybe the oldest bar currently operating in Gainesville. Uh, it's mostly run by women who have been there and seen everything. And you go in there, and when I go in the afternoons, I was thinking about going this afternoon. Actually, oh God, I should go with uh, you. You I can. Need, I need maybe, some wine. Maybe we could celebrate. Um, they have they have three or four domestic beers, one or two imported beers, and all the wine they have is in little tiny plastic bottles. Yes, they serve they serve the beer. Okay, Bud Light. You know all the trouble Bud Light uh, got, so yeah. they totally proud. No problem. Pour Bud Light in a mason jar, and they get the mason jar out of a freezer that is the kind of refrigerator freezer you would have in your house. It's not even industrial. The place looks lived in. It's rough. It's, it's rough and ready. It is a dump. Yeah. Okay. But it's a beautiful <laughs> dump. Only to you. Everybody but... is so nice. And what I do is I go in there. Nobody bougie would go there. Uh, well, you know, I don't know. Anyway. Um, I order a Bud Light in this beer, you know, frozen beer mug. And then I light up my Virginia Slim <laughs> cigarette. I always bring Virginia Slims there. So it, hopefully that people will screw with me and nobody does. They're like, oh, that guy spoke of Virginia Slims. Stay away from him. He might be dangerous. It's kind of like a girly cigarette. It's a girly cigarette. Okay. And in fact, my phone has a girly flower pattern on oh, it. Oh, even better. But I go in there and I watch a show called Gunsmoke. And I used to watch that show religiously with my dad. So me too. for me, it's my like dad, yes. it's like being with my dad, drinking beer like my dad did, smoking cigarettes because you know, bird to the man. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Screw the man. The the one place where you can still smoke. It's bad for you. You smell like smoke when you leave. I love that. Just a horrible place. I so, love that. So keep telling. It's a beautiful place. I know. I was being cheeky. Um, Charles Bukowski writes that there's a way of appreciating the beauty of smog. He says, okay, green trees, green trees, green trees. What are you going to do with it? Give me the smog. Give me the smog of the city. There's a way of appreciating smog, and those people are going to be ready for the future. They're going to be able to breathe pollution. They're going to go to the restaurants. This is, I'm quoting, I'm paraphrasing Charles Bukowski. And order, he says, order a leg of mutton. <laughs> and, and he says, and they're going to charge you $300. And he's going to say, that's terrific. Here's $300 and here's a $300 tip. Right. They're going to be ready to survive. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, there is something beautiful about going around the corner and appreciating the things that are off the page. Yeah, I love the rabbit hole, but let's get back to the the sort of anthropology and political aspect of ye old Okay, the, the political aspect of ye old barn is everybody's there to have a drink and take a break. There's a lot of salt of the earth people yes. that go there. Yeah. There's a lot of veterans that go there. Right. There are a lot of people who play music. They like folk music that go there. But, but, but it actually has its own diversity. 
So while it may it may be a, a, you know a lean it may lean into the right politics, I really feel like it leans more into the uh, libertarian. Like let let everybody alone, let people do what they do. The conversations I have, if they lean into politics, I, I lean out of it. You know, I'll just kind of nod and I'll listen. And I I love that I'm able to nod and listen. I love that I'm able to watch the movie and invest my time into something that may not be all sparkles and explosions so that I can get to the reality at the end, which ends up being a form of empathy. Right. You know, but... There are some things that people say there that might offend some people, like you were saying that there. Well, you were telling me that it's, it's some people true. say racist things. It's true, but but see, but, I would lose my shit and have to leave or bite my tongue, but well, I'm not you. I, I've just I've just come to realize that the, the the question presupposes that this is different. This bar is somehow different from any any location you could ever stand in in America. Someone will say something racist anywhere you go. Yeah. Someone will say something you disagree with everywhere you go. Well, um, not not to people in silos who only go to, you know, like hipster places where they won't say anything. And they I will. you know, I, I uh, they will say those things everywhere you go. Well, I I don't Racism exists everywhere. Yeah, but I don't tolerate certain things like the N-word and stuff. Well, I know you, you're in the theater, but that's a different context than right. somebody who is um I was just, you know, I bartend, and I won't say who this is, but somebody came in yesterday and we got into a conversation. And by the way, I met this person and I hated him when I met him. Great. They were a real a-hole. Wonderful. And over time, I came to discover it was a bit of a put-on. Uh -huh. And we get along great now. But he came into the bar and he said, you know what I struggle with? I struggle with the German problem. And I said, what do you mean by the German problem? And he says, I struggle with whether I should speak out as 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 one ought to, to help, you know, make, make it known that this is wrong and protect the future and so forth. Or if I should bury my head so that I'm okay and that I survive. And this is kind of, of, of what you're talking about. If somebody says the N-word, should you should you um, immediately call them out and put yourself at risk for some kind of a battle? Or should you listen to what they have to say or should you ignore them as if they don't exist? And all across the board are many different philosophies about this. Um, I hate that word. I hate it so much. I hate it no matter who says it. Right, right. I, I believe that words are powerful yes. and I don't want them to not be powerful. Some people say, well, I want to I want to say the word everywhere I can. And and, and of course, you know, um, um, people in the black community say I take ownership of the word. Well, and I will use like it queer, to take it away from, yeah, it's from, like queer. from white people. Same thing with queer and, and everything else. I, you know, we're at the point now where it's difficult to just say anything because everything you say can be parsed away by nine different uh, factions of nine different permutations of nine different ways. Uh, in the black community, are you black enough? Are you light enough? I just read an article recently that uh, they were doing a historic um, black movie and there was a black actor who was vying for the part and desperately wanted to do it. And the people who were making the movie, and I don't know if they were white, black, or I don't know anything about them. People who were making the movie said, you can't be in it because in the 1920s, the only reason this person was even working there was because they were a light-skinned black and you're a dark-skinned black, so you can't get the role. Man, was he pissed. 
But you, do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes. All of the, everybody fights with everybody. You're not gay enough. You look too straight. Why are you wearing leather? You're embarrassing yeah, I mean, the gay in, people. In our next segment, we're yeah. going to talk about this sort of political correct, yeah. this sort of cancel culture on the left and right. Well, Tom, I'm told by podcast snobs that <laughs> that the attention span really is less than an hour. So we're going to wrap. I mean, I could talk to you forever and ever because you are interesting. Um, so we are going to wrap up this show, but can we do part two sometime when you have time? I know uh, you're busy. As long as the wine lasts. Okay, great. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Tom, for being with us. Um, and to my listeners, as always, be kind to yourself and others. 